Thank you for listening to this teaching from the prayer room. For more teachings, notes, downloads, or to subscribe to our podcast, as well as information about who we are and our upcoming events, visit our website at theprayerroomdfw.com. This is our Book of Revelation course. Tonight is session 21, the throne room of God. And so last week uh, in our session, we were uh, giving a uh, kind of a uh, intro to the city of heaven, and we were specifically talking about heaven as a city, as a real place. And tonight, we're going to look at one of the rooms in the city of heaven, and that one room is called the throne room. And uh, I think that it will be fun, awesome, uh, enlightening. What I want to encourage you to do tonight when we start getting into the details, I want you to try to paint the picture in your mind. Um, some of you might want to go on a journey in these coming weeks and take all these verses and a and hundred more like them and put those verses together and actually physically draw a, a diagram of the throne room. Um, I've done it. I've, it's intriguing to try to put everything where you kind of think it is based off of how the word reads and, and what your imagination uh, projects. But tonight, I mean, if you're a fast doodler, go ahead and do it while we're do- going through this tonight. But, uh, but tonight I want to encourage you to at least do it in your mind and just try to start putting all the furniture in place uh, tonight as we uh, look at the throne room, try to get a picture of it in your head. We'll get there in, in the uh, second, third, and fourth Roman numerals tonight. But in this first one, I want to talk about the most distinguished room in the universe. Thinking about the throne room, again, it's a real room. It's not fictitious. It's a real room with real parameters. People really walk around it, and when they put their foot down on the ground, they feel it, just like when you put your foot down on the ground here. This room, however, is where God dwells forever. It's where he rules from forever. This is God's room inside God's city, in God, inside God's universe. This is God's throne room. This is a very distinguished room it is unique in the fact that it is, um, it is the room that rules everything that is ruled. There are lots of uh, varying levels of government in our world, in the spiritual realm, in, uh, in nature, in the universe. This room rules them all. One throne to rule them all. And this, uh, this is where God is ruling the universe. Okay? And... And so you think about the, the thrones of, of men, you think about the parliaments and, you know, Congress and House of Representatives, you think about these different places of government, of ruling, this governmental ruling room, this throne room, is more distinguished than all of them together, it's more glorious in appearance than all of them together, uh, it's everything about it is just incredible. I gave you a few verses there just proving the fact that there is a throne in heaven and that it exists in a room. At once I was in the Spirit, and there before me was a throne in heaven. When the Son of Man comes in His glory and all the angels with Him, He'll sit on His glorious throne, this glorious throne. He's established His throne in heaven, and His kingdom rules over all the earth. This is just, you know, kind of giving us a picture of this throne. Well, All earthly thrones that have ever been established, every time 
there was a new nation that arose in history or a new empire. All of them, whether they knew it wittingly or not, they were actually modeling their throne, the fact of a throne, the fact of a, a seat on which a king rules, the fact that there are kings. All of these things are just pictures. They're shadows of heaven. And so these throne rooms on earth throughout history have just been shadows. They've been little whispers of the real throne room, of the big one. Look at this in Colossians 1.16. For in him all things were created. All things. All things were created. Things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. Anything that exists, exists for those purposes and is actually modeled in the, uh, the grand scheme after what he has in heaven, who he is, and his purposes. Let's find that to be so incredible. In him all things were created. Thrones is on the list. And so all the earthly thrones, I just think about that for a second. The first king that was ever, you know, on earth and doing the king thing, okay? We can actually see who that is in, uh, in Scripture, but, but think of any of them. They thought it was their idea. They thought, I'm going to rule over a bunch of people, and I'm going to be the guy in charge. I'm going to be the main guy in charge. That concept was already pre-invented by God. He is the main guy in charge. Then that little main guy, little M main guy, he then said, you know what? I'm going to rule, and I'm going to have a really killer seat. I'm going to have them build me a really big chair that's awesome, and it's, it's glorious, and it's better than everybody else's chair. They thought they came up with that idea. That was God's idea. God has allowed whispers of who he is, of his authority, to get into creation and even allow the created ants to think that ants made up the idea. The concept of thrones was God's idea. Most important room in heaven. Again, we talked last week about this huge city. And it's a huge city. Millions, literally millions of square miles of city. And in this city, there is one central room. This is the most important room. It's not the only room. It's not the only important room, but it's the most important room in all of heaven. The throne room of God. The room where he sits on an actual chair. Now, that chair is the coolest chair ever. I mean, it's way better than anything that you know Bassett or, or any of the other guys out there can make. It is an incredible piece of furniture, and it's in this throne room. It's the most powerful place in the created order, and God is ruling there, representing billions of galaxies, representing you know, unbelievable amounts of life and, and energy and, and power. All of it is governed from this one place where God sits, God's throne room. All right, well, let's talk about this throne of glory. The Bible, I love that term, throne of glory, because when you just think uneducatedly about the throne, when I say uneducatedly, I mean, if you just use the word throne of glory and then kind of think about what you can think about, but not necessarily use the Bible. That's what I mean when I say uneducatedly. When you think about the, the throne uneducatedly, the throne of glory, it just sounds big and awesome. But when you start to look at Bible details about what this throne of glory is, it is mind-blowing. 
It is unfathomable what is being communicated in the term throne of glory because it has got so much more going on than any other chair. It's got so much more going on than what we're at first thinking about. Here, uh, Revelation 3, 2, I'm in part A of uh, Roman numeral 2. To the one who is victorious, I will give the right to sit with me on my throne, just as I was victorious and sat down with my father on his throne. So this is one aspect. The father's throne is Jesus' throne. There's either two seats on it or something, where this throne is a throne that is both Jesus' throne and the Father's throne. So it's the multifaceted aspect of this throne of glory that I wanted to touch on there in that verse. And I gave you a bunch of other verses, too, to go look at to kind of get a little bit of this picture. But now go to part B. The throne's wheels of fire. Huh? Yeah, the throne in heaven has giant wheels made out of fire and such. You know, I had no idea. Well, let's read what the Word says, Ezekiel 1, 15 through 18. As I looked at the living creatures, and we know where the living creatures are, right? They're, they're connected to the throne. I saw a wheel on the ground beside each creature with its four faces. Each appeared to be made like a wheel intersecting a wheel. And as they moved, they would go in any one of the four directions the creature faced. Their rims were high and awesome, and all four rims were full of eyes all around. Daniel 7.9 tells us, His throne was flaming with fire, and its wheels were all ablaze. So the throne has wheels that are connected to the living creatures, that it says these wheels, the rims are high and awesome. So when you think of a high and awesome rim, that means it is not two feet tall wheel. It is a really, really, really big wheel that happens to be on fire and somehow made of eyes too. And connected to the living creatures. So these four living creatures are connected to these wheels. They're on fire. Their eyeballs are in them. They're really tall. The throne isn't just a throne. It's a chariot. The throne has wheels. It's a chair with wheels and fire and eyes and living creatures. Ah! Throne of glory. It's just too glorious to try to even imagine. This throne is so different than whatever chair you're thinking of. This throne is high and tall and awesome and has wheels connected to it that are connected to the living creatures. And it's on fire. The wheels are all ablaze. This is just so intense. Next. Around this throne, again, we're just trying to paint a picture of the throne of glory. Around this throne, there's a storm raging. A storm raging. So now just imagine whatever medieval you know, kingdom you were thinking of about that throne, and you walk into that throne room. One thing that is lacking for sure, even if you could figure out a way to set some big wheels on fire, one thing that's lacking in that throne room is a storm in the room. You can't make that storm happen. Look at this. From the throne, the throne, from it, from the throne, from it. The throne is the source of these things. From the throne came flashes of lightning, rumblings, peals of thunder. From the throne, this throne is like shaking and eruptious and stormy. The throne is the source of storms. Okay, now just imagine the earth and whenever we have storms here. Even that is a shadow of what is happening out of God's presence on his holy chair. When we have a storm here, 
and it's the most raging storm, that is still just a whisper. It is an echo of God. It is an echo of where he sits in his throne. There's a storm raging out of the throne. This is a throne of glory. This is unlike any other throne. It has a storm in it that never stops. That is unbelievable and is so uncharacteristic of chairs. I've just never met a chair before that had that going on. The emerald rainbow around the throne. Revelation 4, 3, 10, 1, and then also out of Ezekiel. And the one that sat there had the appearance of jasper and a ruby. And a rainbow that shone like an emerald encircled the throne. Revelation 10, 1 says, he had a rainbow over his head. Ezekiel 1, 27, brilliant light surrounded him like the appearance of a rainbow in the clouds on a rainy day. So was the radiance around him, the radiance around him. This was the appearance of the likeness of the glory of the Lord. There's this rainbow, but what's interesting about the rainbow is it's described in ways that are not rainbow-like. It's, it's like a rainbow. It doesn't say it is a rainbow. It says it's like a rainbow because we think of rainbows as like kind of two-dimensional, sort of. Like we just we think of them off in the distance, and it's just this like bar, this band that goes over the horizon. But this one's different. This rainbow goes around him. When it says like an emerald, I don't think that that's talking about its color. I think it's describing the way that it's radiating out in every direction. So think of an emerald. What if you were shining light in that emerald from the bottom? The light would be coming out everywhere. It'd be coming out in all directions, not just one direction. This is describing somehow the glory of the Lord over the the throne like an all-encircling rainbow, an all-encompassing rainbow. Not just one from one dimension, but like... Imagine that rainbow, and you did it this way, and then you did it this way, and you did it this way, and then you just kept doing that until you filled in all the the blanks, all the empty space. There's a rainbow, almost like like a dome of a rainbow around his throne. It surrounds him. That is not a normal chair feature. The sea of glass before the throne. I want to read you these these verses because they are just so powerful. This sea of glass like crystal is described as a sea, It's described as an expanse. Depending on your translation, it's described as a firmament. It's a crystal sea. It's a gathering place. Let's read these verses. Revelation 4, 6. Connected to the throne, just this throne. Also in front of the throne, there was what looked like a sea of glass. A sea of glass. Imagine a sea. You stand before the sea and it just goes on forever and ever. But this sea is made of glass or it's light glass. It's clear as crystal. Because we'll see in a minute, you're able to stand on it, okay? So before this throne is this massive sea of glass like crystal. Now let's go back to the Ezekiel passage. Remember where we were looking at the the giant wheels? Now look at this. This is described as kind of the angle of underneath the throne where the wheels are, where the living creatures are at in this particular scenario. And you're looking up at where God is seated. And look look what's described here. Spread out. Above the heads of the living creatures was what looked like an expanse, sparkling like ice and awesome. It's the sea of glass, like crystal. There came a voice from above the expanse over their heads, and above the expanse over their heads was what looked like a throne of sapphire. So here it is. We see that the sea of glass like crystal 
is, is what the throne is seated on. And underneath are these wheels. And, and above the sea of glass is where the throne of sapphire is. High above on the throne there was a figure like that of a man. From his waist up he looked like glowing metal full of fire. From there down he looked like fire and brilliant light surrounded him. Like the appearance of a rainbow in the clouds on a rainy day. So was the radiance around him. Exodus 24, uh, 9 through 10, describes the same scenario, this, this sea of glass-like crystal, and it describes it not just as crystal, but it describes it with a, a blue hue, which is what you would use if you were describing a sea. If you're describing a sea, you would say, yeah, that's, it's got, you know, blue is the ocean, blue is the sea. Here it says in uh, Exodus 24, 9 through 10, the 70 elders of Israel went up and they saw the God of Israel under his feet was something like a pavement made of lapis lazuli as bright blue as the sky. So we're seeing here, the, 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 we're seeing God on his throne seated on what is described as something that looks like pavement, but it's pavement with a blue hue. It's the sea of glass like crystal. So what I believe this pri the primary function of this sea of glass like crystal that's got blue hue to it, it's described as a great expanse, what I believe the primary uh, purpose of this great sea that is pavement that you can stand on, I believe the primary purpose of this is the great gathering place of the saints to be able to worship God right before his throne. And it's going to take a great sea because we're talking about billions of people and who knows how many angels gathering for large worship gatherings before the throne. And they gather on the, on the blue lapis lazuli, you know, uh, pavement, uh, clear or glass, uh, crystal glass sea. I mean, it's, this is glorious. And it's right there before the throne so that no longer, when we're before him in heaven, no longer are we just picturing, just imagining our spirit and our soul before the throne. But when we're in heaven, we will stand before the throne, not all the time, but certainly for large worship gatherings, will stand before the throne, all however many billion of us, and worship him right there in his presence. Out of this sea, it's interesting, this blue sea right before the Lord, we see that the river of the water of life, which is described as as clear as crystal, flows from the throne of God. So this is now Revelation 22, verse 1. And we just read Revelation 4, 6. In front of the throne, there was what looked like a sea of glass, clear as crystal. Now we have the river of water of life, as clear as, as, clear as crystal. A little tongue tire there. We now have the sea of glass and the, the river of the water of life. Both of them are flowing out of the throne, and they're described as clear as crystal. So just picture it this. God is the endless ocean of revelation. God is the endless ocean of, of a love and of life. And out of this endless ocean, a river flows out. We're used to, on earth, all the rivers flow into the ocean. This one, God is, God has, God underneath him, I don't know. All this is connected in ways we don't, I don't get yet. But there's this sea that is connected to God's presence. And out of that flows the river of water of life, both of which are described as clear as crystal. So the endless ocean of God flows out from this, uh, from this river then through the nations, and it gives a healing for the nations in connection to not just the river, but the tree of the water of life. 
And uh, it also then says, I'm now on page four, the great street uh, from the throne. So it also describes that from the throne is flowing this river. But it says here in Revelation 22, 1 through 2, then the angel showed me the river of the water of life flowing from the throne. It flows down the middle of the great street of the city. So somehow the great street that we described last week, and I called it Main Street of Heaven, somehow the great street is also connected to the throne, which it would just kind of make sense if you follow the yellow brick road, you end up at the wizard. We've got the great street that's flowing all throughout the city of heaven. What is the final destination? Where does that street start? It starts at God. Where does the river start? The river starts at God. Everything starts at God. It starts at his throne. So somewhere there in the throne room in your head, imagine the great street of the city having its origin somewhere connected there to that throne room somehow. Because out of the throne flows the river, and it flows down the great street of the city. So I'm just imagining in my version that both the city and the river start, you know, one inch in front of God, and that somehow the river is like in the middle of the street, meaning the street is on both sides, kind of like you would do a bank on both sides. If you've ever been to uh, the river walk in uh, San Antonio, it's got lots of life happening on both sides of the river, and, but you would call that the street. So something like that. All right. So now let's investigate. Now let's talk about some of the players in the room. Who are the characters? If we've got the, the great, you know, drama of heaven, who is there? What are they doing? I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this, but I just want you to imagine your version of the throne room in your head needs to include all these people. First, Jesus, the Lamb. Second, the Father. He's there. He's there in the throne room. I gave you verses for all this. I'm just going rather quickly because I want to be able to get all of it in. The 24 elders. Your version of the throne room needs to have 24 elders in there. The four living creatures. Oh my gosh. We don't know how big they are, but I just don't think that they're, you know, like miniature pony sized. Okay? These four living creatures... I'm just imagining the small version is they're as big as this room. I mean, I, that's just my picture. These are big living creatures. It says that the throne is enormous and high, and it just seems disproportionate to have this enormous throne and then like these, by uh, ratio, these living creatures that are like micro-machines on the ground. You know, I just think these living creatures have got significant presence before the throne, and the only way they would is if they're pretty big. So that's just my take. Okay. The seven angels before the throne. We're going to spend a whole session that I'm just in love with, by the way. We're going to spend a whole session talking about the seven angels before the throne because it is one of the most multifaceted, dynamic aspects of the book of Revelation, in my opinion. So we're going to spend a whole session on that. So I'm not going to talk about that right now. I'm just going to say there are seven angels before the throne. So just imagine your version of the throne room that's got the seven angels, not just seven, but kind of the seven. These are big guys. These are, this is a big deal. The seven angels before the throne. <clears throat> Part F, the martyrs under the altar. Right there in the throne room, all the martyred saints, specifically the martyred, have representation before the throne in a unique way. So if you happen to check out that way, I can tell you what you're going to be doing one minute later. You're going to show up as a coal on the altar or under the altar right there in front of God. Countless angels encircling the throne. We all know it. <clears throat> angels numbering thousands upon thousands and 10,000 times 10,000. 
you know, I don't think that in this scenario, this was intended to be the totality exacting numbers because we're told thousands upon thousands. And then right after that, we're corrected. And he goes, no, 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 10,000 times 10,000. I think that this specifically is describing an incalculable number of angels. Uh, but if you needed 10,000 times 10,000, that's 100 million. Okay. So it's at least 100 million, if not a whole, whole lot more. All right. And they're there described as within earshot of the throne. It says they encircled the throne. Imagine a hundred million angels. And again, I think it's a lot more. But imagine a hundred million angels encircling the throne. Each of them is individual. And they've got a story and a name and a voice. And they like know different things. A hundred million. And again, that's the small number. Encircling the throne. I imagine them flying. I imagine them as up. Encircling because there's just so many reasons why it, it, they, they, they shouldn't be on the ground uh, because it just it crowds the space of the sea glass like crystal. I just, in my uh, picture, and this is just my imagination, I always imagine them as up, either flying or somehow they're on stands that are lifted or something because there's just a bunch of reasons why if they're on the ground, things don't operate right. But a <laughs> hundred million angels in this throne room. All right, now let's go to page four some articles found in the room. I just want you thinking about this throne room as having stuff in it, as there being things in this room, like any room. If we were describing this room, I hope that you wouldn't, if you were describing this uh, to somebody else, I hope that you wouldn't paint a picture to them of only the, the, the walls and, no, and nothing in it. I, I think you would probably say, you know, there's a bunch of chairs in there, some verses written on the wall. The stage is set up this way. You know, there's some uh, soundproof, you know, you know, sound barrier or whatever, uh, sound absorber things on the walls. And just, I think you would probably describe this room, if you were talking to a friend, as not just the 30 feet by 40 feet room. You would probably give some detail. Well, we have some detail about what is in this room in addition to those who are in it, we have some what is in it. So I've entitled this uh, number four, articles found in the room. Seven lamps burning. Again, I'm going to kind of go over that briefly because I think it's dynamically connected to the seven angels and the seven a lot of things. But just imagine in this room, seven lamps burning. In front of the throne, seven lamps were blazing. So in, in your version of the throne room, imagine seven lamps that are blazing. They're not just lit. They're not just barely kindled. They are blazing lamps. Okay? The golden altar before the throne. Look at these verses. Revelation 8, 9, and then also 6. Another angel who had a golden censer came and stood at the altar. He was given much incense to offer with the prayers of all of God's people. He was offering this on the golden altar in front of the throne. So whatever version of throne room you're imagining, now you've got to add a golden altar to it. It says that, uh, Revelation 9, 13, I heard a voice coming from the four horns of the golden altar that is before God. So now you've got a golden altar with four horns. So maybe the easiest way to picture that is one at each corner, if it's a square. So you've got a square altar with a horn on each end. Okay, so just think like some big horn. This is in front of God's throne, in front of it. So it's not 100 miles away. It's not 100 feet away. It's in front of the throne. So a significant part 
of God's throne room is an altar. Do you know what you do with altars? All of them. You offer sacrifices. So in front of God's throne, there are perpetual sacrifices being offered. But check this out. Revelation 6, 9, we read it a minute ago. But now, get some context. I saw under the altar. Which altar? This golden altar with the four horns. That's where you offer sacrifices. That's in front of the throne. I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain because of the word of God and the testimony they maintained. Martyrs. The martyrs, in some form or fashion, are the coals that keep the fire on the altar burning. That's what's under an altar. Coals. The martyrs are the coals. They're the fuel that are keeping the fire on the altar burning. They are not the sacrifice on the altar. The sacrifice on the altar we see later. But they are the fire that's under this altar that's keeping this altar ablaze all the time. The golden censer. It would be helpful, I think, if you don't know what a golden censer is, or a censer, is to Google it so you can kind of get the picture. It's something that houses incense. It's used in like, you know, maybe you've seen in some Catholic churches or something. They'll, they'll kind of walk by and they're, they're swinging this little thing on a, on a chain and it's got incense in it and it's burning, okay? It's an it's a incense-burning, portable, fire-holder, smell-good thing, okay? The idea is for the smoke to get out, okay? And so there's this golden censer that was God's idea. It, he's got one for his throne, for his, uh, for his altar, Another angel who had a golden censer. So imagine whatever throne room you've got, and he's have an altar, and I guess next to it on a hook or something, this golden censer. D, 24 elder thrones. Okay, whatever version of a throne room you're imagining in your head, it needs one big throne and 24 smaller ones. 24 is a lot to cram in there. That's a lot of thrones. I've drawn this. It is difficult to get all 24 of those thrones in there. Like, does it go all the way around it? Does it just do a semicircle in front of it? Oh, it just says there's 24 thrones. It says surrounding. So, I mean, the picture I have is that some dudes are looking at God's back because it says surrounding. So they're, they're behind him. But there's 24 elder thrones making a circle. That's what surrounding means. 24 elder thrones in the throne room. And these dudes are sitting on these thrones. And these thrones are not lame, I promise. The censor's not lame. Nothing is lame in the throne room. <clears throat> but I just don't know if when you think of the throne room, do you think about 24 extra chairs? Because there's 24 extra chairs. At least. The reason I say at least, part E tells us, and again, these are all uh, Revelation verses. We're doing a study on the book of Revelation. I'm trying to get you entrenched in Revelation, what all the counsel of the book of Revelation says about the throne room. Revelation 24 says this. Now, again, I just want to remind you, John wrote Revelation 4 with all the thrones, and John wrote Revelation 20. It's the same John. Same Revelation, same throne room, okay? So it seems to me that when we're reading Revelation 20 verse 4, it seems to me these are not the elders' thrones. That just seems... It, it doesn't read that way, all right? Revelation 20, verse 4, I saw thrones on which were seated those who had been given authority to judge. 
Now, you, it could be. Maybe it's the same 24. I don't think so. I think these are different thrones because I think the 24 elder thrones are to rule heaven. They are the elders of a city. That's what elders are. Elders are given jurisdiction over a city. I believe the 24 elders that we read about, they are the 24 elders over the city of heaven. These are given authority to judge the earth. I think this is a completely different set of thrones. And that somehow it's connected up there. It's, it's got a place. Elders crowns. Each one of these elders has crowns. So imagine these crowns that are on these elders' heads. And each crown is unique. It has different expression. It says they're holding bowls. And these golden bowls are filled with the prayers of the saints. So just imagine in the, in the throne room setting, right there before God's chair, there's 24 bowls. And each bowl, and each crown, and each elder, each of these things is unique. And it's connected to the prayer movement on the earth, the, these incense bowls. Okay? They're filled with the prayers of the saints on the earth. And so you've got these burning bowls, this burning golden censer, this burning altar, the burning wheels. I mean, there's a lot of burning going on. I hope the air conditioner in heaven is epic. Because there's a lot of fire going on around that throne. All right? The elders' harps, these are not just for decor. These guys are playing these harps. But I just also want you to imagine, like, these are like the epic harps of heaven, okay? Just think about God's symphony. He's not going to have some, like, little hand harps that are, like, six inches wide, you know, and, and eight inches tall. And like, These are big harps. I don't know how big, but they're awesome. These are really big, awesome harps. These are pieces of furniture before the throne. It's not like little hand harps that are lame that you can't see. This is the symphony of God before the throne. There's only one throne room of this sort in the universe. God doesn't have anything, you know, partly thought through in this throne room. It's all big and epic, go big or go home, okay? Now, next week, and we're about to break into groups, but next week, um, I, uh, we're going to spend... The whole uh, session talking about the symphony that's happening around the throne, the symphony, the song, the music. So I'm just going gonna, gonna to leave with this introduction of the fact that these elders have harps. There's 24 harps around the throne, and that's at least the starting uh, point of the band, okay? But next week, we'll talk more about the details of uh, what does all this look like. All right, now at this point, we're going to break into groups. Yes, it is you. Okay, all right, great. Uh, Maybe I'll ask you your question first, and then as soon as I've done, you can come on up, because I have a feeling this will be a little bit faster Q&A than normal. Um, okay, well, we're going to do our uh, time of Q&A, and uh, I'll repeat the questions so that those that are watching online can uh, track with us. Um, so, uh, Luke, what was the question over from your group? <laughs> Wait, it's worth repeating. So the, the, the non-real question was, when you're talking to the living creatures, which eye do you look them in? Always in the left armpit. Always. The one in the center, in the wing. You just you look it right there. Yeah. Okay, so... So the question is, um, 
We know where the Father is in the throne room and the Son. Where is the Holy Spirit in the throne room? Um, so as best as I know of, and I'm not, uh, since I haven't studied that particular point specifically, though I probably will now this week, um, I can't think of a single verse that, um, that speaks of his uh, precise location like it does of the Father and the Son. I think he's all up in the midst of all of it. And so he's, he's in the cloud. He's, he's in the sea of glass. He is the water. He, he's, he, it says that the, the spirit of, of God is, you know, before the throne. It, that the, the spirit of the Lord, the spirit of the living creatures, the spirit. Like, I just think that the Holy Spirit is, he's all there. And one of the things that makes the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, so interesting is the spirit is intangible. He's not physical in a confined form of, you know, five feet tall, this wide, this skin tone. And so his presence is all in the throne room. I mean, in fact, he might be in that throne room more than the father or the son because both the father and the son, we have record of them leaving that throne room. But uh, I just have a feeling that presence is just brooding constantly over that altar. And so his, the Holy Spirit is all in the midst of, uh, of the throne room. So great question. All right, qu- cast back there. And Luke, if you don't mind getting ready. Let me do my best to restate what I think you're asking, and then if it's not exactly what you're after, correct me, okay? So the question is kind of twofold. Um, is this throne room that we're reading about here and that we just kind of pieced together, is this the permanent reality? Does it ever change? And uh, depending on the answer to that question, how do the saints um, play into this throne room uh, when Jesus returns and, and the saints are now gathered uh, to him uh, in heaven. Is that more or less? Okay. So I would say that this is the throne room. Uh, this, is, <clears throat> this is the layout. The Lord could change whatever he wanted to. But the reason that we're given this layout is because this is what the throne room looks like according to his divine purpose, divine order. He thought through this whole thing. He's got a good game plan. So yes, I would think that this is the forever uh, kind of layout but i think that that's instead of that being restrictive i think it's it's paramount i think it's it's the pinnacle of wisdom it's he set this up after lots and lots and lots of hard thinking not that the lord needs to do that he's really strategically set the room up the right way to govern the universe and so i think that he's got it all ordered right now where do the saints play uh into this well um if we've already got one set of thrones around the throne with it being a, uh, a 24 elders in a circle around the throne, it says surrounding, um, it would seem to me that kind of like there are in some of our earthly uh, you know, governmental structures, that there might even be tiers of thrones uh, in place around this. Now, I'm just making this up, but it's something I've thought about, it, but it's not. I couldn't point to verses on this particular point. 
as far as the geographic location of the other thrones. We don't really know, uh, but it seems to me that there are going to be tiers of leadership, uh, tiers of access point, uh, and that there are these other thrones that are set in place and who knows how many. Now, my personal opinion, and this is just my thought process, and, and I invite you to, to uh, not want, don't take it as, as uh, dogmatic, because I'm not dogmatic about it, but it's my thought. I think the elders rotate. I don't think that it's the same 24 elders for all eternity, uh, because when did they first get put into place, and, and what qualified them to be elder number one for 10 trillion years times a billion years? What qualified them to have that one position forever, and when did they get put into place? I think that these 24 elders, this is just, this is my thought process, I think these 24 elders, it's 24 stations in heaven that there are always going to be elders in those places, but kind of like in earthly government, we have people in office for a season, and it's an assigned season of time, and they're serving in that role, in that specific office. And so we've had a lot of different presidents that have all shared the exact same Oval Office. And so we'd say the Oval Office is occupied by the president. I think, this is just my opinion, I'm going to say that 12 times, uh, I think that, these, that the elders around the throne are even rotating uh, positions of authority that are going to be 24 different uh, people throughout eternity uh, in different seasons of time. And that's just my thought process as one of the ways that God works in the leadership of the saints um, into the jurisdiction of uh, the leadership in heaven. And, uh, and I could be totally wrong about that. But what we do know is that the saints will have ruling capacities. And we know that the elders of heaven is at least one realm of ruling leadership. Uh, maybe it's not the only one. I don't think that it is. But it's at least one realm of ruling leadership. So it stands to reason to me that the saints on earth, depending on the way that you lived, the, you know, how you uh, served the Lord in this hour, uh, that there's a possibility that there will be some number, again, it will still be a small percentage, that would rotate through. So it's not like every believer uh, is going to uh, get that privilege in, in my construct. But those that have proven worthy in the way that they serve the Lord in this hour, uh, I think that there's some level of connection point there that obviously you can tell by my answer I don't have all ironed out. Um, so hopefully that's at least somewhat helpful or created 10 more questions for you to go ask Jesus. Okay, yes? Yeah, so uh, the question is, the throne has wheels. Why? Where does it go? Does it go? Um, uh, it's, we see in the Psalms that he makes the clouds his chariot. And we were described a number of places in the Psalms and elsewhere as seeing God on his chariot, which I believe is his throne, that's moving. And so I think that the throne of God is also the chariot of God. And that when God, this is just my thought process on how this connects, I think that when God leaves the throne room, he leaves on his throne. So he's still on the governing chair. He's still ruling the universe from the governing chair. But it has a place that settles down into the middle of the throne room and that then lifts up and goes and does things. And so uh, we see a number of places, and I would just encourage you to, you know, Bible Gateway or something, God, chariot, throne, wheels, those kinds of verses in order to be able to see the uh, specifics uh, but yes, I think that the chariot throne does um, uh, move. It is mobile. 
and that the living creatures uh, are connected to the wheel because they never stop saying holy, 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 but they're not saying holy, holy, holy to air. They're saying it to God. So whenever that chariot goes someplace, those wheels, the spirit of the living creatures is in those wheels and the spirit uh, and those living creatures are connected to those wheels. I think wherever God goes, the living creatures go, the wheels go, the throne goes, but that that throne as its normal uh, place of settlement settles into its specific port in the throne room. Uh, but that it, yes, it is mobile and can go places and do stuff. Yes, Lord, help us. This concludes this teaching from the prayer room. For more resources or to schedule another TPR teacher to come speak at your church or event, please see our website at theprayerroomdfw.com. Thank you.